What's up everybody, Tara Wellman here, and I hope you all set as many alarms as necessary so as not to oversleep on this series preview. <laughs> See what I did there? Sorry, I, I know, the, the joke is... tired. <laughs> Sorry, okay, moving on, I promise, I am moving on, much like the Cardinals are trying to move on from a pretty pathetic showing the last time they took on the Pirates in Pittsburgh. Now, similarly, both of these teams have recently struggled with the likes of the San Diego Padres, which might tell you a little bit about the up and down seasons that both teams are having. The Pirates are 27 and 22 on the year, while the Cardinals are 26 and 21, which means that as of today, right now on Thursday at 3.06 p.m., they're both three and a half games back of the Brewers in the NL Central. But mathematically, the Cardinals have the tiniest edge, for whatever that's worth, which is probably not much. A lot has changed for both of these teams since the last time they saw each other, and probably more for the Cardinals than for most teams in Major League Baseball. And by that I mean, things have changed as far as who's actually on the roster and who isn't. But that's only part of what we talked about. We also got into some analytics and some misconceptions about those things, as well as how those things are probably what's making the Pirates' offense so much better than people expected. And by we, I mean myself and Pittsburgh Pirates reporter Alex Stumpf. Well, Alex, first of all, thank you for joining me today. We were chatting before we started recording. I know you've had a chance to talk a little bit with Zach Gifford from Birds on the Black. We're going to change things up a little bit, explore a little bit more about the Pirates coming into this series, but thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. So, catch me up. We saw the Pirates last as the Cardinals got swept in that three-game series, the first time the two had faced each other, and when I did the preview before that series, the consensus was kind of... I don't really know what to make of the Pirates so far. So are you any closer to figuring out what to make of the Pirates in 2018? Oh, no. If anything, I'm more <laughs> confused. I mean, this has been a real Jekyll and Hyde team. Uh, they lost three or four to the Padres, uh, lost two out of three to the Reds. I guess I shouldn't say that. There's one inning, one inning left to go in this game, but it's going to be a series loss. Could have been a sweep. Yesterday, they had to really uh, just win an ugly, ugly game, but eh, win's a win. So they have absolutely no momentum going at all. So knowing how this team operates, I fully expect another sweep this weekend. I mean, it makes no sense, right? Whenever you think, okay, this team is no good. They win seven of eight when you think, okay, yeah, well, now they're going to finally compete for the division. It, they lose six of seven. So it's it's an interesting team. It's a roller coaster. I mean, they swept the Cardinals, then they got swept by the Nationals then swept the Brewers and the White Sox in that two-game series. So uh, it feels like a team that, that can't capitalize on any of that momentum. And I say that, having watched the Cardinals the last several years, be completely incapable of capitalizing on momentum. So I understand the frustration factor in trying to sort out what to make of those win streaks when they do happen. <laughs> yeah, if there is any common theme to this year, though, it has been they've been able to beat the teams in the Central this two game or three game series against the Reds, notwithstanding. Besides that, they beat the Cardinals, they beat the Cubs and Brewers on the road, two very impressive series. And whenever they do lose, it's to the Nationals, the Padres, the Phillies, teams that, yeah, you should still beat or at least hold your own against. But if you want to compete for the division, you have to beat the division. 
it's what held the Pirates back for all those years, 2013 and 2015. They just couldn't beat the Cardinals or the Cubs and teams like that. And that's why Pirates had to settle for three wild cards and the Cardinals got three division titles. Yeah, it's amazing. The This season, it felt like, uh, I mean, there are, it's not like there aren't always a lot of games within the division, but it felt like right off the top of the season, we were seeing back-to-back-to-back series with these NL Central rivals. Um, so you, we got a pretty quick idea very early on that this season maybe wasn't as much a lock for the Chicago Cubs as it seemed like it it had been predicted. And even still, it's still the Cardinals are up there, the Pirates are up there, the Brewers are still leading the division, and the Cubs aren't far behind. The Reds are really the, the, the one straggler in the division right now. But this division has proven itself um, to be a little more interesting, I think, than it, than it looked like on paper coming into the season. Yeah, I'll admit, I slept on the Brew Crew coming into the year. I know they had that good year last year, but I wasn't sold on that rotation. And I'll give Craig Council and company credit. They are doing a very, very good job managing their pitchers. They don't ask them to do anything more that they're capable of doing, which I've seen the Pirates ask their starting pitchers do more. And a little bit I've seen from the Cardinals, maybe they're guilty of the same thing also. Uh, the Cubbies, they're just not as good as we thought. I don't think they're going to be this dynasty that they look like after 2016, they can't grow pitching. Uh, Darvish doesn't look that good. Lester's taken a step back. They've got Quintana, who is a bona fide ace, but that's not that great a team. And, or great of a rotation, it's still a elite offense. But yeah, it's a four-man race. Pirates were very confident coming into this year that they weren't going to be the doormat that a lot of teams expected, even though they did trade their race, they did trade their perennial MVP candidate. And if this is really what the division is going to be, it's going to be fun all year. I wouldn't be surprised if this is a four-man race still in September. Yeah, the more I see, the more I agree with that, because I think a lot of these teams are similar in, this is going to sound strange, but similar in different ways. So they're they're similar in that they, they don't go on these big, long winning streaks. They don't have this, this one thing that they're so much better at than everyone else that it's going to carry them, um, even if that one thing the the thing that is their strength is different. So for the Cardinals, their strength so far has been their starting pitching. Their bullpen has been a bit of a roller coaster. Their offense has been almost non-existent at times. They have guys that are underperforming all over the place. Dexter Fowler, Matt Carpenter, Marcelo Zuna, just to name a few. And then on the flip side, they're also missing the middle, uh, to, I guess the, the middle to the back half of their lineup with Paul DeYoung out and Yadier Molina out. So there's been a lot missing that has kept them from maybe living up to the offensive potential that's there. Um, there's been a lot of weak contact. There's been a lot of trouble with the shift, which Mike Matheny apparently isn't a fan of. Uh, and there have been a lot of strikeouts. The individual inconsistencies have shown up in the Cardinals' inability to create runs on consecutive nights. I mentioned the streaks. The Cardinals' longest winning streak is five games. They've done that twice. But their longest losing streak is just three games, and that has really only happened once, and that was uh, uh, the sweep from the Pirates. Meanwhile, the Pirates' offense is one of the best offensive teams in baseball. You've talked a little bit about that. I mentioned Zach Gifford at the beginning. He wrote about it over at Birds on the Black today. And there are some very specific reasons, it seems, that the offense for the Pirates has been so good. How do you describe what is happening with the Pirates' offense and why it's been able to be consistent so far? Well, the best answer is just two words. Why balls? I mean, for years... 
Francisco Cervelli was a ground ball hitter. Uh, David Breeze was a ground ball hitter. Cardinals fans have plenty of experience seeing him. Bad. I, I guess he won a World Series for you guys or something at some point. I don't something know. Something like that. Maybe. It was just yeah. a little but, blip on the radar. <laughs> uh, Dickerson, too many ground balls. But now they're really, everyone seemed to be making an adjustment. Uh, Francisco Cervelli, as Zach pointed out, he lowered his hands. And he's also standing upright in his set position. And he's driving the ball really well. He's already matched his home run total or his best in his career. And he's going to have more. I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes the year with 20. Uh, Polanco, he raised his hands. He has one of the best fly ball rates in baseball. In general, if you look at the comparison between the average fly ball and the average ground ball, fly ball is so much better. It doesn't have to be that good a fly ball to be better than a really good ground ball. And if you get the ball in the air, Hurdle preached last year that you know your OPS is in the air. They didn't have anything in the air last year. This year they are. And now they have one of the best offenses in the National League, even if there isn't a bona fide stud in it. I feel like launch angle is a term that is getting used so much that people kind of just roll their eyes and ignore it anymore. Um, mostly because I feel like... I, and I say this as admittedly not the the biggest numbers person, not because I don't... I think it's fascinating. It's just not the way my mind works most of the time. Um, but I, I hear from people a lot of times, my dad being one of them, who will use these terms that you hear all the time now, and I'll be like, that's not actually what that means. So what you're mad about is not really what that word means. So when you talk about fly ball rates, when you talk about launch angle, when you talk about, you know, all these <laughs> exit velocity, all of these words that get thrown around, what do you think is the, the biggest misconception that leads people to maybe not buy in to something like fly ball rate being the difference in an offense? I can only speak as a journalist who sees other beat writers and journalists and columnists whenever someone like Sterling Marte, who has a fantastic set of wheels, he'll hit an infield single. And the immediate reaction on Twitter would be, Starling Marte is not a launch angle guy, which is bogus. Every batted <laughs> ball has a launch angle. That's how it works. You could maybe not be on the same way as like J.D. Martinez is out there solely to hit fly balls anymore, but you need to have that consistent launch. It's something that's taught to you at a young age. If you take a launch angle from, let's just say, 11 to 20 degrees, on average, it, that's going to result in a slugging percentage of about 1,000. That's pretty darn good right there. So you could say, oh, this guy's not a launch angle guy, but his hits are a result of a good launch angle. So I think there is a little bit of resistance against new age analytics and new information where it really is just explaining old school mentalities in a new way. We have quantifiable data to say this guy is good at getting the ball in the air. And that's a good thing. You always thought that was a good thing. Don't fight it now. I love this. He's not a launch angle guy. Um, in fact, that's a, a conversation I just had the other day. And, and I basically said, you, you understand that launch angle just literally means like the angle at which the ball comes off. Yes. Like it's not, it's not a, like it's just the term for the angle at which the ball comes off the bat. Yes. That's all. You aren't a launch angle guy or not a launch angle guy. That's not a thing. 
No, I mean, maybe you could be guilty of, oh, he's a lift guy. You know, he dips his shoulder a little bit trying to get that. But everyone is a launch <laughs> angle guy. Uh, if you go to a batting cage, you are a launch angle guy. If the or ball go- comes off your bat at all, yes. it, it has a launch angle. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, that's really neither here nor there. Just my little rant on people misunderstanding terminology. And I'm not even the the like hardcore analytics person, so... <laughs> so you can only understand my frustration. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> now, uh, moving on a little bit from that rabbit trail, uh, Zach wrote specifically about Francisco Cervelli, who you mentioned, um, but Corey Dickerson is another guy who came into the year without astronomical expectations, but he's done a lot of work to retool his approach and his swing as well. Talk a little bit about Corey Dickerson and what it is that he has done that has made such a dramatic change in basically establishing him as one of the better outfielders in in the league. Well, Corey last year was an all-star in the first half, started as the DH, so he obviously had a fantastic amount of talent coming in. Uh, His big problem was last year no baseball player whiffed on four-seamers as much as he did. So this year he's combating it. He's shortened his swing. He's put his hands at a better uh, launching position, well set. And he also check, uh, chokes up whenever he's behind in the count or basically any count. He has the Joey Votto mentality nowadays that, you know, different count has a different position for my hands. And it's worked. He might not have as many home runs as he did last year, but he still has plenty of extra base hits. Uh, I, it's been a while since I checked, but for a while. He's one of like six players in baseball who had more extra base hits than strikeouts. So that's just a product of put the ball in play and put it in the air and good things will happen. I don't know how the Pirates got him for so cheap. I mean, it's highway robbery, but besides that, you can't complain about this kid. Yeah, that's uh, that was actually one of the main focal points of our last series preview. We were talking about Corey Dickerson and how this ended up happening in the first place. But I guess, uh, you know, if you're the Pirates, you can't complain, especially the way that he's been able to sort of turn himself into this really solid and consistent hitter, uh, which is something that um, I don't think I don't think anyone really expected coming into the year. Another guy uh, that seems like he's gotten hot more lately is Josh Bell. What's the difference for him right now? Um, I feel like a broken record at this point, but <laughs> the first half of the year, he, he's always had a bad ground ball rate. He's he actually almost to the point of frustration for me. He changes his swing so often. Like this Cardinals series, keep an eye on the way he approaches uh, the batter or approaches pitchers. He'll have a leg kick for uh right-handed one day and then left-handed the next day, but not for right-handed. He comes up with a different swing pretty much every single time. And he's made some very ugly swings and those ugly swings tend to turn into poorly hit uh, balls in play rather than just foul balls. Uh, They're also batters are also, or defenses are shifting him far more this year than they have in years past. And actually I wrote about him a couple weeks ago where I took uh, his ground ball rate, fly ball rate, pretty much everything in general. And I put it compared to uh, his 2017 with the only difference being how many shifts does he see? And he was basically the exact same hitter. Now, since then, he's been able to put the ball in the air. This is actually the first month in his career besides a very brief cameo in July of 2016, where he basically had four plate appearances, where he's hit more fly balls and ground balls. And that really is 
half the battle, more than half the battle for batters nowadays. If you can put it in the air, that's a home run. Occasionally. I've never seen a ground ball turn into a home run. (laughs) That would be quite the feat. Uh, Matt Carpenter is a guy who's in a similar situation. He's been shifted on a lot more this season. Um, And and man, it, it haunted him for the first month, six weeks of the season, where almost everything else about him as a hitter was the same. His hard ball rate was the same. He was making good contact. He was he was just hitting it right at somebody because of the way that teams were shifting him. Um, and that frustration built up a lot until really just the last week or so, he's been able to break through that a little bit, hit around the shift a couple of times. And it's amazing how quickly that seems to change everything. Once you get a couple of those to fall or you go the other way a couple of times, um, and a defense makes an adjustment. So uh, that well, can stop be... shifting if you beat the shift. <laughs> yes. You know, it's interesting. Uh, there was a lot of talk about Matt Carpenter just being unlucky. And a lot of that had to do with the shift. A lot of that had to do with other factors. But nonetheless, at, at some point, I kind of found myself saying, while that is very true, it would be real easy to change that luck <laughs> by finding a way to go the other way a couple times, and the the defensive shift that is such a problem will have to adjust. Um, and it seems like he he has made that uh, change in his approach, and it's it's worked a lot better for him in the last week and a half or so um, th- than it was the first six weeks of the season. Let's talk about talented rookies for a minute. Uh, the Pirates have Austin Meadows. The Cardinals right now have Tyler O'Neill, who has come up and he just, he's, he might be the largest human being I've ever seen play the game of baseball. Um, and he... Bartolo! It's, I know, that's true. Different. That's true. Different, different. <laughs> um, but uh, Tyler O'Neill does not really have a ground ball problem because he just hits lots of home runs. And that's been a lot of fun to watch. Austin Meadows is a guy that is up right now. A lot of people might not have had a chance to see him. What's the the scouting report on this rookie for the Pirates? Well, Austin's been one of the Pirates' top prospects, His their top position player prospects, it seemed, for the last two or three years. He just can't stay healthy. He was hurt in AA, went, he still got promoted to AAA because that's that was the plan for him, and then he was hurt pretty much all of last year and had a very subpar season as a result. Uh, this year he has been healthy, but even still, it was pretty middling results in AAA. This immediate immediate performance in the major leagues is quite surprising, actually, if you look compared to him in AAA. He has a couple homers. Uh, he scored from second on a bunt on uh, Wednesday. He's making good plays in the field. He's doing everything very, very well. Actually, yesterday was the first time in his five starts that he swung and missed at a pitch in the zone. He's making very good contact overall. Maybe this is just the tools finally showing themselves in the major league level. He said that he can uh, see the ball better in a major league stadium under major league lights. Maybe that has something to do with it. But right now, the potential has always been there. It's just been mostly unrealized in the minors, but so far, he's looked good. Can't complain about that. Come up and make your big league debut and suddenly you're good again. That's, uh, (laughs) I think that's everyone's (laughs) dream is to to live up to your potential um, the first chance you get in the major leagues. Now, changing gears a little bit before we talk pitching, um, last series preview before the Cardinals played the Pirates, we recorded... I think it was like an hour after the news about Jung Ho Gung broke about him coming back to the U.S., 
planning to rejoin the Pirates, and I did have someone ask on Twitter today if there's an update on what the Pirates' plan is for him, and this is just my personal edition. How you think people will react to his possibility of, of making his way back to the Pirates? Well, to answer the what his plan is right now, uh, he's in extended spring training. He's played a few games down there. Pirates want to give him a full spring training down there, or at least the closest that they can get to a full spring training. So he's not going to be coming up anytime soon. Uh, even if he did last year, he or last winter, he went to uh, Dominican League to play, and he did so terrible that they actually cut him halfway through. He was hitting 100, was making errors all over the place. He wasn't that good, which actually made it a little surprising that you know the reports out of extended spring training have been so positive. I don't know if that's just by comparison of what they had seen beforehand or if he... No, this is the old Jung-ho. He's fine now. There's going to be a long rehab assignment after that. So for Cardinals fans worrying about whenever Gong comes back, it's going to be a while. Pirates seem to be somewhat optimistic that some point this year, it's not going to happen before the All-Star break. That's pretty much a guarantee. I would be surprised personally if he does play before even September. I don't know what the plan is. There isn't even really a spot for him because uh, third base right now, Colin Moran has been very good. Uh, David Freeze uh, has been a solid backup quarter infielder. There really isn't a spot for him. I mean, maybe se- or shortstop or second base, but the Pirates have insisted, no, he's going to go back to third. I think he figures more into the 2019 plan's best-case scenario than the 2018. And as for the actual reception, that's anybody's guess for the most part because the drunk driving is bad enough. But there was also the incident in Chicago, which apparently is just left on a cliffhanger. We're never going to get any resolution to that. So I guess Major League Baseball and the Pirates are treating it as well out of sight, out of mind. I don't know if that's exactly a good thing. He's been out of baseball for a year, so they felt that suspending him any further than that would be just overkill. I don't know what the parts or what fan reception will be for that. I know on Twitter they're very excited, but you know that's not always a great indicator of what it is, especially since we're now in uh, the Me Too movement, which very important. You know, trust women, believe women, and this is kind of a bad look right now. So parts obviously worked very hard to get him back into the country. They're not going to just let him go. And if he can keep his nose clean and perform like he did in 2015, 2016, he is a fantastic asset, but there are still a lot, a lot, a lot of question marks around him. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm all for redemption stories, but uh, I think that there, there, there needs to be some uh, evidence of that, of him living up to his end of the bargain, if you will, Absolutely. If, if people are going to just welcome him back with open arms. So that's a, an interesting story to keep an eye on, one that I think um, a lot of people are cringing at for a lot of different reasons, but uh, definitely a, 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 could be a, a big part of the pirate story going forward. Moving on from that entirely, let's talk about pitching. Now, I know that you wrote uh, specifically about Richard Rodriguez not too long ago. The Pirates' bullpen was not supposed to be its strength. It's actually not bad. <laughs> what do you yeah. make of what the bullpen has become this season and, and why it's so much better than people expected? Well, it's, again, Jekyll and Hyde-isms for this Pirates team because 
there was a first two weeks of the season, it was flat out garbage. And then from April 12th to pretty much May 20th, they had the lowest ERA in baseball with like the third most strikeouts, second fewest walks, least amount of hard contact, like pretty much everything you would want from a bullpen. They were one of the three best. And now here they are blowing four run leads against the Cincinnati Reds. It's, it's very interesting to see Vasquez as a whole, his velocity is down from last year. Uh, Felipe Rivero for Cardinals fans who didn't uh, keep up with the name change. <laughs> I, was he Vasquez last series? I can't remember. I don't remember either. Yeah. It's not that important. <laughs> uh, Michael Feliz, he actually reminds me, correct me if I'm wrong, because I only got to see Trevor Rosenthal, you know, a couple series a year, but he reminds me of him. He's someone who has a great fastball, a uh, good slider that plays very well with the flat, with the fastball, but whenever he gets in trouble, uh, it's basically he's just throwing too many heaters. I, I don't know if that's a fair assessment with Trevor, but just what I saw from him, that's what I see. Uh, he's been very good besides that. He had a bad outing again yesterday in Cincinnati, but as a whole, and uh, he's been very, very reliable. Richard Rodriguez is basically the equivalent of hitting the lottery. I mean, here was a guy who was 28 years old and to this point in his major league career uh, pitched in September, got outrighted off a roster with an ERA well above a run and inning. It was bad. And he's, Got a fifth that's well below one. He's striking out pretty much everyone he faces. He's pitching fearless. He's pitching on the black. Uh, high and away has been his key all year. Because high and away for both righties and lefties has been one of the hardest quadrants to hit league-wide. And he's just been able to consistently drill it there. So maybe one day batters will be able to catch on to that. But until then, he's got to keep rolling with it. Uh, Glasnow, numbers aren't there. I... Definite improvement from last year overall. You can see the stuff playing. He's dusted off a slider once in a while. That's look good. He just doesn't throw it enough. Uh, besides that, it's just been up and down. I don't know if you can really call this bullpen a strength. I think they're stronger than the rotation as a whole. But as a whole, they could be better. They could be worse. It'll be interesting to see if maybe there is a change before this uh, Cardinal series because George Contos has struggled, came in as the setup man, and popular theory is he's going to be DFA tomorrow for Joe Musgrove. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to talk about Joe Musgrove. Uh, to, to be clear, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon, um, and if yeah. it's anything like, for the most part, I've had to make that caveat every time I've done a series preview because the Cardinals have made so many roster changes that it varies within the hour <laughs> most of the time. Um, in fact, this last week, uh, I think there were like four or five days consecutively where they didn't make a roster move, and that was the longest stretch all season that they had not made a roster Jeez. change yeah it's been it's been Stay unbelievable healthy. yeah no kidding um and s part of that has been uh, their bullpen puzzle and some of it has been health related some of it has just been a matter of um they've they've made good use of the uh shuttle between memphis and st louis and um brought guys in and out as it seemed to make sense mostly. Um, some questionable choices, but nonetheless. Uh, but but you mentioned Joe Musgrove. Coming off the DL will require a roster move. That's where I got off on that tangent. Um, I actually saw Joe Musgrove pitch in uh, A-Ball. They're a team that I cover here locally uh, every year 
is an Astros affiliate. When he was with the Astros, I saw Joe Musgrove Grove pitch right at the beginning of, of his career. I love seeing those guys uh, finally make their big league debut. Um, this is his first start of the season coming off of the DL. So what are the expectations for Joe Musgrove as he tries to fit into a rotation that you said is not the Pirates' strength right now? Well, Musgrove seemed to be the centerpiece of the Garrett Cole trade. Right now, they got Michael Feliz, Colin Moran with it, but Musgrove was the real get. Uh, last year, he was pretty bad as a starter for Houston, but as a reliever, he really came through, especially come playoff time. He won Game 5 for them pretty much, or as much as any pitcher won Game 5 of last year's World Series. Uh, yeah, there are some expectations. There was a little bit of debate of what the Pirates' rotation this year would be, but it always seemed to figure to have Joe Musgrove in it. This seems to be the type of guy that Neil Huntington really, really likes. Uh, good fastball sits around 94. Last year, he was only throwing it about 50% of the time. Knowing, and that's including uh, time as a bullpen arm where he basically went just fastball slider. Uh, Pirates are very, very fastball heavy. 60-something percent. It's probably two out of three. I know it's the most in baseball right now so maybe he could benefit from that mentality have that and the slider and the third pitch whether it be a changeup or a curveball just mix it in to give a different look basically just roll with those two pitches that might work i'm interested to see how long his leash is especially since this is the first start from injury the bullpen will be mostly rested after uh this series in cincinnati Maybe they only go five or six innings with him, or if he really does get rolling, do they go for that seventh or eighth? Yeah, he'll uh, so he'll pitch opposite John Gant, who is in the rotation because of some injuries for the Cardinals. Um, Carlos Martinez still not back uh, with a bit of an arm strain. Adam Wainwright out indefinitely at this point as they try to figure out uh, if there's anything that can be done about his elbow issue. So John Gant is the guy, at least at this point. Um, the Cardinals have a lot of young pitching on the horizon. Alex Reyes actually makes his, in theory, last rehab start tonight in Memphis um, and would then be on target to pitch in John Gant's next, or in the, the start slotted for uh, John Gant and or Alex Reyes. Um, but Gant is a guy that probably isn't going to go super deep into the game either. So we could see a lot of bullpen action in that first game. The, the second and third games, the Cardinals will throw two of their most exciting pitchers right now. Jack Flaherty is another young guy that is up because of injury to begin with, but he has been nothing short of spectacular. His last outing, he struck out 13 in eight innings. Then Miles Michaelis followed him up with a complete game shutout. And it it was, they were two of the most incredible back-to-back games the Cardinals have had this season. How you duplicate that um, in your next start is always the challenge, I think. They will be uh, trying to do that against Trevor Williams and Jamison Talon. What do you expect in those last two games based on what you've seen from these guys so far this season? Yeah, uh, Trevor Williams is a pitcher who does a lot better at home. I think his last start was just the second time in almost a year, pretty much, where he gave up more than two earned runs at home. So this is where he thrives. He's had a little bit of a fly ball issue this year, but with that big left field, it he makes it work in Corey Dickerson and uh, Sterling Marte, now Austin Meadows, have the speed to cover it for him. 
Tyon is the more interesting case because about three starts into the year, it looked like this was it. This was going to be his big breakout season. And since then, he's kind of hit a wall. He sounds confident in post games of what he's doing. He feels good about it. And he's not the type of guy who would BS you and say, oh, no, I feel fine whenever he knows deep down that it's not going right for him. If he sucks, he'll say he sucks. So if he if this is just a bump in the road, that'd be fine. But he has an ERA over four and a half right now. That's not what you want from your ace. He has the potential every single time he goes out there to throw that one hitter like he did against Cincinnati earlier in the year. But it's basically gone unrealized most for this year. Uh, for whatever it's worth, Greg Holland sounds confident too, and he's been pretty <laughs> terrible. So, sounding Greg confident. Greg Holland for uh, George Contes. I think that could be an interesting. Uh, someone story. on Twitter suggested uh, that I, I I offer Greg Holland for David Freeze. <laughs> can we just have David Freeze back? You can. No, take no, no. The... I, I saw that tweet. It was for a forty save relief pitcher, and I mean, I'm sure the Pirates would like Mark Melanson back, but there are too many. <laughs> Uh, he's been uh, a struggle, to say the least. Um, and there's really no light at the end of the tunnel because, I mean, he's got a pitch to figure it out, and uh, he's not going to the minor leagues to do it unless nope. they come up with some phantom injury <laughs> that requires a lengthy rehab assignment. We'll see what happens with that. Nonetheless, uh, as the Cardinals got swept the last time they were in Pittsburgh, this is a series that I think will tell a lot about what they have become in the last month. And uh, as we both mentioned, this NL Central is going to continue to be interesting. And this that makes this a big series for both of these teams, as far as I'm concerned. As big a series as you can have in late May. I will give this. This has been one of my favorite tidbits that I've been dropping around on podcasts and writing, whatever. Last year, the 10 teams that were in a playoff spot at Memorial Day None of them made the playoffs last year. So last series before Memorial Day, time to leapfrog a little bit over there. I mean, maybe nobody can overtake the Brewers in those three or four days, but definitely can have a wild card spot. There you go. We'll see what Why happens. Play the last four months of the season. <laughs> exactly. Just shorten the season to two months. And we'll be fine. Alex, thanks so much for joining me today. A lot of information to share and Zach uh, shared some of it over at Birds on the Black. Make sure you check that out and then follow Alex for even more of that information and then make sure you follow me on YouTube for all of this kind of content. Alex, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It is always important to win games within your own division, especially when a division race is as close as the NL Central looks like it's shaping up to be. As of right now, the Pirates are 11-5 in the NL Central, while the Cardinals are 14-7. So both teams have been doing their job, for the most part, in the division. Now they have to take on each other and see who will reign victorious. Thanks again to Alex for joining me today. Make sure that you watch this series while paying attention to those fly balls and how much more successful they are than your basic ground ball. Thanks for watching. I'll see you next time on Birds on the Black, on YouTube, on iTunes, and on Twitter, wherever else you can find me. I'm Sarah Wellman, and I'll see you then.